Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides. Our task is to reclaim religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Reverend Sarah Lindsay. And I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist Ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. Welcome to today's episode of Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left. Today we're talking about why we're making this podcast and why we've chosen to name it what we have. We're going to talk about what heresy is and why it's necessary in today's conflicted and complicated world. Are you someone who really doesn't like the word heresy? It's challenging for plenty of people, maybe because you think it means there's a right and a wrong way to think. But we're reclaiming it here on this podcast because the heretics in history are critical to moving religious thought forward. We're also talking today about religious liberalism and what it means to be on the religious left. Too often when we think about religion, we default to a conservative perspective, giving up the liberal voice. Today we're asking what it means to be spiritual and not religious, or how to be religious in the modern world. On today's episode, we address these questions and lay the groundwork for an ongoing examination of contemporary topics as we kick off our first season of Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left. Welcome to our podcast. This is our first episode. So we're going to introduce ourselves. I'm the Reverend Sarah Lindsay. I work at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in northern New Jersey. It's my third year there. Previously, I was at a congregation in Croton on Hudson, New York. And I'm Reverend Peggy Clark. And I'm the senior minister here at Community Church where we're recording. I've been here all of six months. I was at a church for eight years before this in Westchester County. And Sarah and I have known each other for like 10 years. No, no. almost seven? Seven, seven years. years. Seven, seven years. years. Yeah. About. We've got kids about the same age. Right. So, so we're ministers, <laughs> we're mothers, we're activists, we're writers, we're talkers, apparently. <laughs> yes, very much that. There's no question. I have a Master's of Divinity from Harvard Divinity School and a doctorate in religious studies from the University of Pennsylvania. And my master's is in historical theology with a concentration in medieval studies from Boston College. And my doctoral work was in American religious history, which I stopped when I decided I was not going to be Catholic anymore and went into UU ministry instead. So we've started this podcast because we believe that the religious right has cornered the market on religious podcasting. Yep. And, that it's, and, and religious everything. Well, yes, religious people everything think religious, in the American they think, landscape. They right. think conservative. Exactly. And so it's time to have a voice of religious lefty liberalism <laughs> on the podcast scene. Right. So that's what we're aiming to do. Right. right. We're filling a space we think is really necessary because people are out there in the world. They are spiritual, even if they're not religious, and they're looking for meaning, and they don't have a context necessarily. They have small communities, maybe a few friends, or maybe Mm -hmm. there's like a prayer community or a meditation community, but not somewhere they necessarily feel grounded. And we all need to feel connected and grounded and to be able to put into context all the things that are happening in the world. 
So we thought this podcast would at least start that conversation. So even if you don't consider yourself religious, even if you're not a Unitarian Universalist, if you wonder about the big things in life, you're thinking about how to live now with everything that's happening in our world, and you want to do that with heart and spirit and thought, this is a podcast for you. So we decided to name this Hope and Heresy, frankly, even though most of the people we know hate it. <laughs> this is true. The feedback was not positive on the Almost. title of this podcast, <laughs> but we're sticking to it. Almost viscerally violent. <laughs> but we're sticking to it. And there's a reason. And we hope that once we explain it, you're all going to love it. I mean, this is part of going back to the idea that the religious right has claimed religion as if the norm is the conservative body. And those who claim what is heresy, at the very least, are mainstream. Are are those who who have claimed, you know, who can say this is what's normal. And the heresies are the things, are the outliers. The heresies are the ideas that that aren't considered or haven't historically been considered the norm. Right. So heresy is a term given to ideas that fall outside of the orthodoxy. Right. So um, usually that term is used as a pejorative. It's a negative term applied to things that don't fall within the established, accepted, narrow vision of religious understanding. But heresies are the things that push religion forward. Right. I mean, historically, those are the, that's where it gets exciting, where right. people start wrestling with real issues, start asking the questions and questioning the norms and wondering what else is possible other than what everybody else has kind of assumed. And when it comes to religion, you know, we're not talking about science. We're not talking about empirical data. We're talking about experience and what people believe. And just because everyone believes something doesn't mean it's actually the only path to truth. There may be many ways of knowing. And in history, there have been really interesting people who've challenged the norms and have pushed us forward. Right. I mean, both of us, were, we're Unitarian Universalists. I mean, that title itself for our religion, which should frankly change because it's really too long. But aside from that, it comes from two heresies. True enough. I mean, it's sort of mainstream now. Right. But those things, neither of those was mainstream. Right. This is the other thing, right? Fringe heresies can become the norm. Protestantism at all was essentially a heresy at its beginning, right? Absolutely. It was, right. it was a deviation from the established Catholic systems, an unintentional one, but nonetheless, and it became its own entity. Right. So this is, heresy does what good edge thinking does. Right. <clears throat> and it pushes the boundaries of the circle. It pushes the boundaries of what's considered normal. And the reality is that we live in a world in which most of us, I shouldn't say that because I don't know what the numbers are. <laughs> but we should figure out the numbers, right? Like, what is the percentage of the world that actually adheres to and believes in an orthodoxy as opposed to something a little bit more on the edge, right? Well, and and who gets to decide what's right. orthodox, right? I mean, I remember um, a bishop, I mean, this is a long time ago, it was maybe 20 years ago, but I remember him saying, you know, that if he was really pushed, he'd have to call himself agnostic. And I know that the people in the room who heard it were sort of, stunned by it and yet he's a I mean, is 
you know, a Catholic bishop, so established in the field, he's part of the institutional thinking. Is it orthodox to assume that that agnosticism within Catholicism is, you know, that that's the norm? I mean, I think that, that we're always in this sort of, like, who gets to decide what normal is? And every experience, even within the orthodox, the experiences vary tremendously. Yeah, this is an interesting question, right? Because heresy is used as a way to diminish, right, that term. So it's whoever is holding the power gets right. to decide what's orthodoxy and what's heresy, right? So earliest, earliest Christianity, you've got a, tons of different stories about who Jesus was and what right. he was and what texts should be used. And once you get someone in charge, once you get a state religion, right. then you have the opportunity to establish orthodoxy and heresy right. and to kill heretics right and to right. eliminate the threat of deviations from the right. center which was even more necessary <laughs> when what you believe it was national religion right it was an right. individual religion so either you pledge your allegiance to the religion of the state and therefore your state or you don't so burning the heretics kind of made some sense is why the jews were burned is why the christians were burned in the roman empire and then it took a long time to establish to figure out sort of what the orthodoxy and then what the heresies were. Right. And they change over time, of course. They do. I mean, we start to adopt right. them. Right. Certain I mean, heresies get incorporated into the center over right. time. It's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting question. But so I think that's the point of having hope and heresy, right? The point is, heresy actually is a source of hope. Because heresy is what pushes you to see the world in a bigger way, Right. The heretics are the ones calling out for change, calling out for something different, calling out for right. a broader vision. And that's actually where the hope lies, that there are people who can see beyond right. the orthodox center, who can step outside of the thinking that they're being asked to adopt whole cloth with no critical thinking, right? right? Um, so there's hope actually in heresy. Well, I mean, I think it's the hope for the time today. Right? We live in a, a moment right now in history where it feels like... We have stagnated or we're moving backwards culturally. And it's the people who are willing to kind of stand on the edge and say, you know, with a cry in the darkness to say, we shouldn't be living like this. Like, it's okay to start talking about in the United States of America, what would it look like for everyone to have health care? I mean, what that's. I, but see, what I think is so interesting, and this is where I get a little bit stuck, I'll admit, is that I'm not actually sure that that's fringe anymore, right? The things that we, we're in this funny well, moment, right? We're in this funny moment where it's not actually clear where the majority of America stands necessarily, right? right. Or, or that the majority of America, and this is where you get into an, like an analysis of power versus sort of populace, right? Like in other words, if the centers of power are still maintaining the orthodoxy, but the majority of the people are into the heresy that's on the fringe, right? Right, then that's no longer heretical. It's no longer heretical. It's just then right. it's a matter of power, right? Right, centers of power and the way that right. they play out in normal people's like lives, right, right on the ground. Um, so I don't, what's interesting about this, I think people had the visceral reaction against hope and heresy because they were like, heresy, what does that mean? Is that like a well, negative term? I don't want to be seen, as, be seen right. as something bad or right. not normal, right? Right. And at the same time... We're told them what you think is wrong. Right, right. Yeah. But, but that's the thing. I think there's something powerful in reclaiming 
heresy as right. a powerful tool, right. but also it's not clear to me anymore what's heresy and what's not, you know? Well, I think there's something powerful in being able to say that what you really think should be spoken without being mm-hmm. afraid mm-hmm. that society is somehow going to push you away or ostracize you partially because of what you're saying that we don't really know what the norms are. I mean, the norms seem to be so wildly across the board that it's very difficult to really discern even like, what does America think? Or is there any way to figure out, is there a center anymore that that you could even kind of shift people into? And then where are the centers of power? And so what is it exactly that we're afraid of when we, people say that they're afraid of heresy or they don't like heresy because they don't understand the concept. They're afraid of being seen as being on the edge. I think because they don't know, they're afraid of where the power is. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of, mm-hmm. if only social power. Right. Of saying something that isn't socially acceptable. <coughs> and this is so interesting to me. So as a parish minister, right, I see the trend, right? Sunday mornings are not what they were 50 years ago, Right. right? 50 years ago, you went to church on Sunday mornings. Right. I mean, you didn't if you were Jewish like my grandpa, but, <laughs> you know, that was like the normal sort of thing that Americans did. It was no, there were no sports. There was no right. children's activities. Sunday mornings were right, sacred in yep. some sense. And even in just seven years of parish ministry, I've been able to see the change, mm-hmm. right? And I say all that because I think it speaks to this question of, the the capacity now to to say what you think and feel to live differently to not right so 50 years ago if you weren't going to church on Sunday mornings you would have been sort of heretical and an outcast right that's not the case anymore people don't walk around sort of embarrassed to say that they don't go to church on Sundays they don't walk around embarrassed to say that they're spiritual but not religious right right so something is changing, right? Yeah. And I'm all for it whatever it's great I wish you were in my church on Sunday mornings but I'm okay (laughs) you know but there's there's a um there is a new sense of it being okay to not adopt that sort of long-standing intense protestant way of being right like right. we've moved away from that as a right. nation and of course we're in new york city so i don't know how right well <laughs> but that's part but that's part of the the question yeah. right? so i think in Life in big cities is different mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. rural life when it comes to this a lot of these true. things. And yet we also see in rural areas that church attendance is way down. Right. It's not like that's new. It's generational. Yeah. And that's not generational in the way that some generations think, well, the millennials will, you know, have kids. They'll get married and have kids and then they'll come back. The millennials mm-hmm. have gotten married and had kids and yeah. they have, they're not coming back. <laughs> it's true. Almost regardless of where they live. Right. So, right. so I think we see it across the board. I don't know, though, that that changes in rural areas what's considered orthodoxy. I mean, I think that even Mm. people who don't go to church may have bought into a conservative or religious mindset Mm. that they don't necessarily reinforce on Sunday morning, but they reinforce culturally in a way that maybe, you know, in New York City we're not seeing or in other major Mm. urban centers we don't see. Hmm. Nonetheless, I do think that people, millennials across the board, regardless of where they live, and probably Gen Xers as well, so like everyone under the age of, say, 55, (laughs) that there are people really looking for what's new. I think that we are really trying to ask big questions. Things are happening in the world, moving at an 
stunning pace switching from you know i feel like we're sloshing back and forth between all kinds of national international social economic issues and are looking for new ways of doing things i think people really maybe even maybe there are other generations that way too but i think at least those two generations are asking the big questions Right. I agree with that. This question of newness, though, that one I'm not so sure on, right? So I think that it's fair to say 55 and under have less, most of us have a less secure or strident or blustery sense of this is how it is and this is how it needs to be. And maybe we're more open to newness, right? But I actually think in some ways this whole like spiritual but not religious, like there's, there is a need for something that I'm not sure is new, Right. And that's a need for community. That's a need need for meaning and depth and right. That like there's an openness to new forms of that. Right. right? Like I don't need to go to church on Sunday mornings to get that. Right. But there's a deep need for the things themselves for the. Maybe even more. I think that we're sort of spiritually starving. And I don't think that's because people don't go to church on Sundays. I think a lot of churches are kind of dead places anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Not, not, Not my church. Not your church. No, but I really do mean that. I've gone to plenty of churches where I just felt like there's, you know, these are, there's nothing alive in this room. And and so I think going to church doesn't necessarily feed you spiritually. There are really alive spiritual communities that are meeting in churches on Sundays and on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays and all, you know. Mm -hmm. And... And yet I think the need, the spiritual need, I agree with you, is not new. I think how we're trying to fill those needs might be new. I also think they're kind of unfilled. I mean, I find people more searching than maybe they were even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Certainly more than they were, or at least articulating, 20 years ago. Well, and so that, that I think, raises up what we were going to sort of focus in on today a little bit, right? Which is we live in a very difficult time. And it is the case, and we've talked about this, you and I, Peggy, it is the case that lots of times have been difficult, right? <laughs> right? Since, the, since the evolution of humanity, things have been challenging in different moments in different ways, right? And anyone over the age of 70 knows that full well. Right? right. There have been plenty of times yeah. in history Horrific. when a lot was at stake, when horrible yes. and horrifying things have happened, all of that. Yes. And there's comfort in knowing that, right? There's, we've said this. There's yeah. comfort in knowing that there have been terrible times before and people have found a way forward and pushed through. Yes. And yet I think that there is a central difference to what two, I'm going to argue two central differences to this moment in time. One of those is the fundamental threat of climate change. Right. And one of those is technology. And I think those two together make this time of challenge actually different than any other that humanity has faced. I agree. On the one hand, climate change, right? Because it threatens the very existence of humanity, right? right? If we do nothing, humanity will end, period. And there's a timeline. Right. Right. And And right now there's like 10 and a half years. Before we start the inexorable. And we see climate collapse. Yeah. I mean. We're done. Like we will be in a post-apocalyptic movie. We will be in Mad Max or one of those other, you know. So that that feels like such a fundamental threat that it is different, yes. right? It, it is not like, oh, politics are confusing and bad, but we just need to elect right, right, somebody right. different or whatever, right? Like that right. is foundational to existence. And that level of existential threat is quite debilitating, mm. frankly. 
I think the other piece is the technology piece where we have allowed technological advances to come at such, and maybe allowed is the wrong word, but to come at such a rapid rate without any actual sense, widespread sense of the cost. Not financial cost, but the moral cost or the social cost. Yeah, we've done almost no reflection right. nationally. Not, exactly. Has not yet been part of the national conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's a real problem, right? There was, um, I want to say that it was Martin Luther King who said that our technology has outstripped our humanity. Yeah, no? no? Does that sound right? Pretty sure that's right. Um, and I think that that's probably more true now, it is more true now than it was, you know, when he said it 50 some odd years ago, right? Like, we have introduced levels of technology into our everyday lives without giving a thought to the impact. Right. Right, to the moral impact. Right, and I think those two together do make this a different time. You j it, we cannot navigate the challenges of this time the same way that people have navigated in the past. So yes, knowing that the grit and resilience of humanity has overcome challenges before is great, and... Well, and because the different. threat... So even a threat, say like the Holocaust, which killed 11 million people, we're still talking about 11 million people versus the 7 billion on the planet, right? The very platform of life itself right now is being threatened, which raises the stakes in a way we had never been able to consider. And frankly, I don't know that we're able to consider them yeah. right now at all, I think. So I, I agree, which increases a level of anxiety and also increases our desperate need for denial and destruction and and we have um, done both of those things really well to the point possibly of our demise. Right. Yep. Well, and I think the, the technology piece, right, is that there's this wildly, it's, it comes down also to a question of globalization, right? So our, um, our technology has enabled a much wider global community, right? And wonderful things have come of that. And at the same time, it's enabled a wider global destruction, right? So we're so linked together now that what would have been a threat to one nation is right. now, now everything is shared, right? right. <laughs> In all the good ways and the bad ways, everything is shared. So our right. globalization has created this um, way in which the threats are themselves global. Um, but it's also the source of hope. I mean, mm -hmm. if something is going to shift, it's because of a profound connection we've made with each other across national boundaries that we can today talk to people. I mean, I have, I have a congregant right now who lives in Taiwan. He's in Taiwan, I think, six months of the year. And, and I'm on Facebook, and so I get to see his life in Taiwan. There's something really stunning about the ability to be in relationship with somebody who's halfway across the world. And because we're able to be in relationship with people in that way, and able to hear the stories, right? There's an earthquake in Puerto Rico, and we all know about it instantly. We all know what's happening, and we're connecting with the people we know in Puerto Rico, people we know who know people in Puerto Rico. We become so much smaller, and those conversations, that's the source of hope for me. Like, that's the way that we may be moving this forward. I hear you. I do, and I believe you, <laughs> but, but I also think for so many people, it's also the source of feeling hopeless or helpless, helpless is the word I want to use, or powerless, right? That the problems feel so big, right? Yeah. When, when the problem was just, you know, 
the only news I got was that in my small town there was a storm and somebody's window was broken, yes. right? Like, right. we can fix a window right. together. There's That's something like, incredibly right? overwhelming. There's something, yeah. the bombardment, the nonstop right. bombardment of international news of right. horror right. is really pretty overwhelming, right? And, and right. I see it with myself, I'll admit, and I see it with my congregants, right? That yeah. there is something paralyzing. Yeah. And as long as you can kind of stay in the bubble of... Right. Mm, it's not really hitting and they start me to glaze yet. over and yeah. exactly and you kind of just don't i i agree that the if there is hope to be found it will be in the ways that across nationality and politics and religion and everything else people who believe in the power of humanity who believe in change will find a way to make change but it it requires pushing past the sense of overwhelm and paralyzation and powerlessness and right. that's and that's the hard people part. keep asking what can i do right i mean with so many issues so the, right now there are still children being separated from their parents there are you know black men sleeping on the floor at rikers you know a couple of miles from here there's there's so many um individual incidents so many horrible horrible things happening very locally and everyone says what can i do and the feeling is there's kind of nothing you can do right vote you can vote and yet i think that that movement building is about being willing to be awake recognizing that you start to glaze over that it's a lot and you can't do everything but paying tremendous attention to what's happening and being willing to start these small communities or joining big communities of people who are doing something, whatever that is. If it's that you're going to join Extinction Rebellion or you're going to join, say, a congregation of activists, I mean, you're going to join somewhere and, and start moving something forward. What happens is that we become so afraid that we're paralyzed, and the more paralyzed we become, the more helpless we feel, and the mm -hmm. more overwhelmed we feel, and the more it feels like it's all doomed, and it just sort of cycles down. So when we start to become active, and moving into any one issue, just moving it forward, that's where the hope is for me. Well, and I think that that's in part what we envision for this podcast, right, is, is each episode, each week, we're going to talk about one of these things that feels overwhelming, right? So whether we're talking about prison reform or the fires in Australia or whatever it is, we're going to talk about one thing that's in the ether, right? One thing that is on people's minds, one thing, and how we can look at it with the lens of hope, Right? How we can look at it with a lens of heresy. Right? What's a way to think about it that isn't how you're being told to think about it, isn't the standard, historical, typical American way of thinking about it? What is a new way to approach what feels like an insurmountable topic or issue or question? Well, and how do we keep up our energy? How do we mm. keep up? That's a whole episode our, in itself. Right. <laughs> well, but for each of these topics, right, the facts become so overwhelming and so depressing. And it can feel like, I just can't even do this anymore. So part of the question for us is, where are the sources mm -hmm. of energy? Where is it that this becomes part of a spiritual path? Mm -hmm. Right, Not just 
um, a political right. path or, or some kind of social interest, right. but really activism as spiritual path. Well, and that's actually really important, right? Because this is not a political podcast. This no. is not an activism podcast. Right. This is a podcast about living religiously from a left perspective, a liberal perspective, right? And and it's probably important that we talk a little bit about what that means to us. What does it mean when we say things like liberal religion or the term I like to use a lot, living religion? Like, what do we mean when we're talking about that? And I think that that's important for us to address in this first Well, I would episode. define religion. Well, let me start. I would define spirituality mm-hmm. as the search for truth and the search, an individual's search to live meaningfully. And I would define religion as the systems by which we make meaning of our lives. Well, so, so the beliefs... I would say that the, spiritual... So that's an individual path for spirituality and then the way we face mystery together in community, I would call religious. Hmm. So so if you're sort of doing it on your own, then that's a spiritual path. But if you're doing it in community, it's a religious path. That's interesting. That's interesting. Give some thought to that. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's what, so if I'm starting from that, right, I'm starting mm-hmm. from the idea that we're, we're facing into mystery together, that that's, that's religion. We're using a shared context, a shared lens, our religious lens, or yours and mine would be Unitarian Universalist, that that's the religious lens we're using. But that with that, the larger picture of liberal religion is really a way of facing mystery together using contemporary um, sources of truth, recognizing science, recognizing direct experience, recognizing the religions of the world, not just Mm -hmm. a Christian or a Jewish perspective, but to include the Hindu perspective, the Buddhist perspective, and the Taoist perspective, right? That that's a part of liberal religion is recognizing that there is no corner on truth, that we are, are... open to the possibilities yes and when i think about living religion or i think about liberal religion what strikes me as central is not just this idea that we're open to truths from many angles but it's the adaptability or the the possibility for evolution that exists in liberal religion it is not fixed it is it is a search, but it's also it isn't just an endless series of questions, right, right? there. And that's where I think that we have a slightly different um, our definitions slightly differ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to call religion an endless search, right? I want to no, call I don't it think yeah, right. like it's it, the idea that what religion does, right? Okay, if we want to do the like religion one hundred and one <laughs> from college, right? right? Like on the one hand, religion is a constructed term used and applied for the purposes of academia, right? Like right. that's where it comes from. It got invented to categorize a set of studies, basically. Right. Um, and if you go back to the Latin, you're looking at the notion of to bind together, right? right? So there's something, yes, that's entirely communal, but there's also this other piece of it that is about um, not just not just we're going to be sort of bound together in community, but also we're going to be bound together in community and we're going to develop together or individually, but share together a perspective that helps us understand life and make meaning from it, Right. That's the point of it, right? It isn't just that we're going to be in community together. It's we're going to be in community together and we're going to think about life deeply and have a frame to understand the things that happen to us, that we see in the world, and all of that. 
And I'm going to go on a limb and I'm going to say, I think that's part of what's such a struggle for those out there who identify as spiritual but not religious is the community piece and this piece that's about how to understand and integrate the things that happen to us. So there was a time when I was not actively religious, right? I was raised Unitarian Universalist, but I was like, peace out in high school. I have nothing to do with nothing. And what becomes hard, I think, when you're outside of a context is that then you're you're on your own trying to do the work of, right. of figuring out, like, why do bad things happen? Why right. is the world such a mess? How right. should I feel about this moral question around right. sex? Whatever, right? Like, all these things. And, and it's not that we all need somebody to tell us what to believe, but it's that we need places that encourage us to think about what we believe. Well, so I think that the difference between liberal religion and conservative religion is this the opening of we're not going to tell you what to believe. Right. right. So is really the idea of, for me, I would say Unitarian Universalists believe that religion or that revelation continues to unfold. Right, so we don't have doctrine. We understand that truth can do. We are willing to be wrong. I mean, right. ultimately, that we may we may learn new things and change our perspective. So, if we're facing mystery, if what we're trying to do together in community is face mystery, we create systems around that, and we create ways of understanding the world. But from a religious, from a liberal perspective. We change the way we do that. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to tell right, you right. this is how you have to understand the world right. uh, or that this, whatever it is you know right now, won't ever change. Right. And this is, I think, especially interesting in America in this moment, right? When everybody's real dug in. Like, right. we're all really dug in on what we think is right and what we think is real. And so this idea that liberal religion really espouses, which is, Okay, you can have that belief, but be prepared to have it challenged and changed and adapt it and let it become something new as new information happens, as you experience something new or as new scientific, you know, understanding evolves like that. That is what is. You have to be willing to be wrong. And we could have maybe called the podcast Hope and Humility or Humility (laughs) and Heresy, right? Because there's something about this that is also about humility, right? Um, And the willingness to be wrong Mm -hmm. and to change um, and so I guess I think that right now we need a little bit of liberal religion in the podcast landscape and we right. need a little bit of like hope, heresy, and humility in the American landscape. Right. Right. Recognize that we're all facing mystery. We're all trying to create systems that make it make sense. We are all potentially wrong. Whatever <laughs> right. it is we believe, Right. Right. Here's the thing, and I don't know that we want to talk about this today, but I feel like we should come back to it in another episode. I am, I have just spent, however long I've spent saying, right, evolution, we can, you know, we're open to change, we're, and yet there are some fundamental truths that liberal religion would hold to, right? Like science and reason matter and should be trusted, right? right? So fundamentally, I am not open to the idea that I'm wrong about climate change, right? Like there are right, certain right, right. things You're right. that we are that we are not open to being wrong about, right? right? I am not open to being wrong about the need for LGBTQ rights across yes. the board, right? There That's are certain right. things that are not up for debate. Um, the metaphysical things are, 
but the but the on this earth science reason love equality justice those things are not up for debate right maybe my methods are up for debate maybe i'm going about finding them or creating those things in the wrong way or the boundaries that you've put on it i mean so right okay, we today so maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe 10 15 years ago we'd be talking about marriage equality and yes um, we would say LGBT, but we didn't know. Really we weren't any, thinking right, in any right. way really about gender, right? So right. we we do keep stretching our yes, own definitions of, of who's on the margins and who's included. I mean, I, I often wonder who it is we're forgetting now. Right. Who don't we see? Where is the circle cutting someone out still? Right. Yeah. So absolutely. so while we may fundamentally stand on love as a primary experience and source. We may not know right. We may not how be expressing that is it being perfectly lived, right, right this moment. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. So what do we do now? Our point was not to make you feel more overwhelmed. Right. Right? Our point is to say, yes, okay, it can be overwhelming, but there are ways out of this and there are right. things to do. Right. We're not totally powerless. Right. We don't have to feel helpless. It isn't hopeless. Right. Right? So every podcast, we're going to offer you concrete, substantive right. things to do regarding the you know issue that right. we've been talking about that day. Today, that's a little more complicated because we've been talking about it being overwhelming right. and we've been talking about a lot of different things, but... Well, it's an introduction to the podcast. Right. So what can you do? Listen, Listen to the podcast. To the <laughs> but also, form small communities where you're thinking about and talking about these kinds yes. of questions. Get intentional about being awake. Yes. Be in conversation with people. Find other people who are doing the same thing. Right. Surround yourself with people who are thinking about how to live meaningfully. Right. Right. I mean, even listen to the podcast like a little book group, right? <laughs> like you do it. No, I really mean <laughs> I that, though. That. Like, yeah. There's a, I know people who have done that with other podcasts where like right. you listen to it and then you sit and you talk to your friends about it. Right. I, I mean, that's one way for us to be awake and to be connected. Right. Yeah. Every podcast, we're going to end with a moment of hope that might be a bit of news that's uplifting. It might be some wisdom from Reverend Peggy or me. We don't know. Today, here's the moment of hope. There is an empty space, an empty space in the landscape of podcasting. And our hope is to fill it with liberal religious voices, us, guests, all of you. And a new liberal religious perspective on what's happening in the world, which we don't have right now. We have a lot of conservative religious perspectives and a lot of secular perspectives. But if you want to live a spiritual life and still be in the modern world, mm-hmm. we're bringing the voice. That's our, that's our mission. That's our hope. <laughs> right. Right. Coming up, we're going to be talking about climate change, war, and pacifism. We're going to have an episode on sex and being sex positive. The rise of hate, anti-Semitism. We're going to look at mass incarceration, call-out culture. We're going to be looking at a whole lot of things in this first season. All with a liberal religious lens, thinking spiritually about contemporary issues. And how to live in the world. In a yeah. complicated, messy world. With hope. <laughs> As heretics. As heretics. <laughs>